here again. Mild, mellow days, apple picking, kicking leaves. It also heralds the advent of a pretty important election, in case you've been asleep all summer, and the candidates have been hitting up our city to court those critical Pennsylvanian voters. Just last week, Donald Trump popped into Geno's to pick up a cheesesteak, the Philly campaign equivalent of kissing a baby. And President Obama swung by recently too, to stump for Hillary Clinton. But despite their efforts, the voters don't seem too impressed with the flavours on this autumn's electoral menu. I spoke to a few of them grabbing a food truck lunch down at the porch at 30th Street Station. Um, <laughs> the burrito's really filling. That's what people always say. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll get the burrito okay. with the... What's your name? Tiana. What are you eating for lunch? A grilled cheese with brie, bacon, and caramelized onion. Ooh, that looks very tasty. So we've got a big general election coming up in November. Are you excited about the options available? Not really, but I do want what's best for the country, so I'm still going to vote. You're going to show up. Any ideas who you're voting for? I'm voting for Hillary. She wasn't my first choice, but I do think she's better than, um, you know, my other options. And I do think she'll be capable of doing the job. What's your name, sir? What's your name? John. What are you eating that looks absolutely delicious? Jerk chicken. Come the general election, what do you make of the selection of candidates that we've got this time around? I have to think about how I want to answer that. Are you going to vote? Yes. Are you excited about the candidates? No, because if one of them gets elected, I think I'm moving to a different country. If the other one gets elected, I think that um, she'll have difficulty following through on the things that, that she thinks she wants to do. This looks really delicious. What's your name and what have you got here for lunch? My name is Tasha and I am eating a crab cake sandwich. Are you planning on voting in this general election come November? I am not voting because with the selections we have, I don't see much of there being a difference in my choice or a change in what's going to happen once either one of them gets in office. I think they're both liars and I think that if that's what we have to choose for, I bow out. I'll take my integrity and just deal with what comes of it. So you're not at all impressed with the offer this, this fall? Not either one of them. John Delknap. I have a food truck. It's called Johnny Bravo Surf and Turf. We specialize in crab cakes. Our turf is Philadelphia cheesesteaks. Uh, we have fish and chips. You have me at fish and chips. <laughs> Quite an array of choice there. This upcoming election has caused a lot of strife, a lot of bad blood between both sides. Well, first of all, are you going to go out and vote for either of these candidates come November? Absolutely. Anything to keep Donald Trump out of office. Is it that you're wild about Hillary Clinton? I'm not wild about her, but I, I'm afraid of Trump. So anything's better than Trump. Are you going to save me some fish and chips? Sure. All right, I'll come back later. Thanks very much. Hmm, not such an appetizing selection. Now, where can I get a good cheesesteak around here? Chris Sartulo is sure to know. Thanks, Sophie. Clearly, dissatisfaction with the choices on the ballot is at an all-time high across America. This is 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. It's brought to you by the Committee of 70. I am Chris Satulo. As we just heard, a lot of people don't hear their aspirations or values being expressed as they listen to this sour campaign dialogue. So today, some counter-programming. 
We've gone on the hunt for positive solutions. We're going to talk about an innovative way to get better ballot choices and a new initiative for Philadelphians to make their voices heard. Then, because we're the Committee of 70 and we certainly expect more from Philly, we're going to review some episodes where Philly politicians fell far below the standard we need to insist that they meet. But first, back to our positive proposition. During the Democratic National Convention, the Committee of 70 held an expo for election reformers and civic tech dreamers called American Experiments. We reported on the event during Episode 5 of this scrappy podcast. If you missed it, it's still available on iTunes and SoundCloud. All day, all night, anytime you like. Check it out. Anyway, one of the exhibitors at American Experiments was a group called Open Primaries. I caught up with its president, John Updike, to talk about his plan to give you a more competitive, compelling ballot. Welcome, John. Great to be here. Well... Your organization says what it wants to achieve in its name, but what is an open primary? Well, there's various uh, ways to conduct an open primary, but to reduce it to the simplest form, it's a primary election in which every American, whether they're in a political party or not, can fully participate. And right now, that's not the case. And that would be different from the current situation because then the political parties, the Democratic and Republican parties, would not control the setup of the primary? Yes. Many states conduct what's called a closed primary. Only registered Democrats can vote in the Democratic primary. Registered Republicans can vote in the Republican primary. Independent voters have to stay home. And that's very problematic. Okay, how is it problematic? What's the, that's the way we've been doing it for a long while. Well, the dirty little secret is that almost half of the political races in the country below president are uncontested or uh, because of gerrymandering. The general election is an afterthought. The primary is the only election that counts in, in more than half the districts in the country. When you shut out two-thirds of the voters from those first rounds, you're effectively creating a whole class of elected officials who aren't accountable to their constituents, they're accountable to the partisan primary voters, and that's it. And then that has downstream effects in the conduct of government, the way legislatures work, and so on. Absolutely. People act confused about why Congress is so gridlocked. It's not because the members of Congress are stupid people. They're actually very smart. Most of them get elected in closed primaries. They're incentivized to do what 5% of their constituents want, which is to act like a partisan. And therefore, there's no incentive at all to ever cooperate with the other side. Zero. But yeah, it's tiny slivers of the country, uh, of the electorate, are electing the vast majority of members of Congress and state legislatures. Okay, so we've sketched the shape of the problem. Now sketch the solution that you prefer. Well, we have public primaries in Nebraska, California, and Washington. A public primary is, as it sounds, there is one primary. It's, it's open to all the candidates and all the voters. So you go to vote in the primary, and there might be four Republicans, three Democrats, a Green, a Libertarian, two Independents, and a Peace and Freedom candidate. Mm -hmm. The most popular candidates go on to the general election. As a voter, you might be a registered Democrat, but you could vote for a Republican. You could vote for a Green. You're not confined to the candidates of your own party. The impact of this is dramatic. In Nebraska, for example, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans, all elected in this nonpartisan system, they just came together across party lines. They abolished the death penalty. They did immigration reform. They got through a gas tax to invest in their roads. 
a red state. 71% of the members of the legislature are Republicans, but because they're elected in a nonpartisan system, they're not controlled by the Republican Party leadership. They're free to form coalitions based on the issue, what's good for their constituents, and so forth. One of the problems you reformers always run up against is the people who were put there, the incumbents, by the previous system don't have much stake in a radical reform of the system that keeps them in office. So how do you make this happen? It's a challenge, and I'm under no illusion that state legislatures are going to take up this issue. We're mainly focused on incubating ballot referendums. We have ballot referendums moving forward this year in Colorado and South Dakota, and we have activists and business leaders. And um, what's so fascinating about this issue is that it breaks through the left and right paradigm. It's really about insiders versus outsiders. And we're building coalitions in Florida, in New Mexico, in Alaska, in other states to move forward with ballot campaigns in 2018 as well. But I also know that history moves in very uneven ways and that we could spend a decade getting nowhere and then change everything in, in two months. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't have a timetable. What I do have is faith that the American people want a political process that reflects their values, and their values are increasingly anti-party. So, but in that spirit, in case anybody's moved by the vision that you're describing, we should let them know what your website is. Go ahead. Openprimaries.org. Uh, but there's lots of ways to get involved at the local level. So sign up. Okay. That's John Updike of Open Primaries. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Now, election days are surely times when you'd like your authentic voice to be heard. But what about the other 363 days of the year? Well, some folks at Temple University have come up with a new way for you to be heard Philly. I talked recently to Nina Ho, who runs a Temple initiative that goes by that name. Nina, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So what is Be Heard Philly? Be Heard Philly is the nation's first citywide survey panel, um, and it's opt-in and basically gives every resident in Philadelphia the opportunity to participate in surveys and by doing so have his or her voice heard uh, on an ongoing basis by uh, key decision makers and anyone working in the social sector who wants to conduct surveys. So a panel is a collection of people. It's sort of a group membership where, uh, as I said, every resident in Philadelphia can join. And... Then when someone, say, like the city of Philadelphia or a nonprofit organization or Committee of 70 has some questions for Philadelphians, we can go to that group or go to that panel and ask everyone that, the questions that we have. Opting in just means that people who have joined have done so voluntarily and they weren't kind of randomly selected and forced to join us. They came willingly and because they right, No phone call to... at dinner time. Exactly. Or like yep. Yeah. They came willingly. So how many people have you gathered up around Philly who've opted in? We're getting close to 3,000 right now, probably right around there today. And so what would be the ideal number? What would really make you confident that you've You've got this thing rolling. Well, I would like to get to tens of thousands of people. I think all panels face issues with attrition or people kind of dropping out or losing interest. So, you know, I'd like to keep that number north of 10,000 just to make sure that we're always fresh and have a full, uh, lively panel. So you've got these 10,000 people and you have somebody who wants to do a survey question or find out something. Who might the potential clients or customers be of Be Heard Philly? 
So far, we've done several projects and surveys for different departments of the city of Philadelphia. So we've worked with the streets department to do a survey of Philadelphians' traffic knowledge, the Philadelphia Department of Public Health around their Get Healthy Philly program, and we're getting ready to work with the mayor's office of performance management to conduct the 2016 Philadelphia Resident Survey. So this approach with the opt-in panel, what are the benefits of it? There are two main benefits of this. So the first is that it's incredibly cost-effective to do, say, you want to survey 1,600 people in the city of Philadelphia via phone. That is an incredibly expensive undertaking. It could be high tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Okay. Yep. And, and this approach? Less than $10,000. We get about 80% of our responses come back from the moment that we push the survey out via text, web, and phone. The turnaround rate for being able to actually really get accurate results within a couple of hours is something that hasn't been... So, so Nina, do you just sit there rubbing your hands with glee by the database watching the stuff come in? (laughs) Yes, I do. And I push refresh, refresh, refresh all day. How exactly does it work? I'm in the panel, then how do I find out about a survey? How do I reply to it? So when you join Be Heard Philly, you have the option to choose whether or not you want to take surveys via web, uh, via text message, or from the phone. So when we have a survey, if you've signed up to take surveys uh, via text, you'd get an alert on your phone. Hi, it's Be Heard Philly. We've got a new survey for you. Press 1 to get started. And Okay, and what are the response rates? Getting close to 50%. Our last survey 50. was around 45%. All right, so... I am obviously not a research scientist, but sometimes I hang around with people who are. That is a pretty good response rate compared to a randomized telephone poll, right? Very, very good. What yeah. are those usually? Single digits. Six, yeah, and it's seven, getting worse, percent. right? Yeah. It, yeah. So, Nina, when you sit there and dream about what this could become, what difference do you see Be Heard Philly making for how the city runs, how people feel about the city? Well, I think this is an incredible opportunity both for you know, city government and local nonprofits, anyone wanting to make Philadelphia a better place, I think this is an incredible, will be an incredible resource for them to be able to take the pulse of Philly and do cost effectively and time efficiently, really understand the perspectives and opinions of Philadelphians, and then be able to turn that in, those into kind of meaningful actions and uh, improvements for the city. But what we really want to do is actually give Philadelphians an opportunity to have their voices heard and give everybody a chance to speak on important issues and have their, you know, voice and vote, I guess, count equally equally throughout the city. Okay, so I'm convinced. I want to sign up for Be Heard Philly. How do I do that? www.beheardphilly.com, texting at ISR to 39242, or by calling 215-204-5858. Again, that's the voice of Nina Ho of Temple University. Thanks so much, Nina, for being with us. Thanks for having me. That was Nina Ho of the Institute for Survey Research at Temple University talking about Be Heard Philly. And joining me now is David Thornburg, head honcho at the Committee of 70. Hey, David. How you doing? Good. So, David, uh, 70 worked with Be Heard Philly to put a survey in the field around the Democratic Convention. Tell us about that. Yeah, we wanted to work with these folks because they've got a really innovative way of reaching Philadelphians and allowing their voices to be heard. We were interested in two things. One is, uh, did people think that the DNC and hosting the DNC was good for Philadelphia? Answer to that is overwhelmingly yes, about 80% said yes. To this conversation, the more important question was, how do people feel about uh, government? Do they trust government, different political figures? And does public corruption uh, erode that trust, which you'd think it would? 
uh, we asked the question about how often people trusted different levels of government, federal, state, local. And by and large, that, that turned out to be about half the time. Asked the same question of notable political leaders, the governor, uh, the mayor, uh, same thing, about 52 to 54 percent. So big picture, you look at that and you think people only trust government and their political leadership about half the time. That doesn't seem uh, terribly um, energetic. Was there any uh, statistically significant difference between the levels of government, federal, state, local? Surprisingly, no. People had about the same opinion of uh, the national, state, and local levels of government, which generally the thinking is that people trust government uh, more at a local level. That didn't seem to be the case here. Maybe this is Philadelphia, right. the reality well, of Philadelphia. Just to jump in there, David, one thing that struck me was Jim Kenney, who won election in a landslide, and most people feel he's had an awful good start to his term. Not the greatest numbers. Yeah, his numbers uh, on the trustometer uh, were in the low 50s, which, again, there's no standard here. But if you said to someone, uh, I only trust you about half the time, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement. So, David, what's your sense of the factors that are going to influence this trust rating for people? Well, well, that's that's an important question. And we asked uh, the survey uh, respondents how much the publicized uh, corruption convictions and guilty pleas Uh, affected their sense of trust. Um, About half of them said that it decreased uh, their level of trust. Surprisingly, though, about 15% said it actually increased their level of trust, which I think suggests that people like to see the system work. They like to see, you know, the good guys win, the prosecutors uh, uh, notch one for the good guys. So all things being considered, I think we just as soon not have to ask people continually uh, how much they react to public corruption cases, but they're a little bit of a silver lining. Then this must have been a great summer for people <laughs> who like to see uh, the authorities crack down on yeah. corrupt politicians. But for those who uphold the banner of clear and honest government, this actually wasn't the greatest summer for Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania. There was a lot of action on the corruption front. Yeah, not to spin a conspiracy theory, but it looks like – it sort of looks like once the DNC left town, then a lot of dirty laundry was put out uh, on the line. So the Kathleen Kane saga has ended. Kathleen Kane resigned her office, won't be running again. And Attorney would, General, the office right, of Attorney General. It would General. take us about a half an hour to walk through the bill of particulars on that one. But Ironically, the, the chief legal injustice detail, officer of the state. Uh, Speaking of, at the local level, uh, the district attorney, Seth Williams, seemingly realized five or six years after the fact that he had accepted about $160,000 worth of gifts, a free roof, trips, meals, hotels, et cetera, et cetera, which he hadn't reported. Now, believe it or not, accepting gifts is legal in Pennsylvania, but you do have to report them. And that'll be uh, something that'll certainly come into play when he runs for re-election. Did uh, I get that number year. right? You said one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, one hundred gifts that he 000. forgot about. He f- just forgot. <laughs> yep. And here's my take on gifts. Sure, they're legal, but it seems to me that anyone who takes a gift, who's in public office, has to explain to the voters how taking that gift improves his or her ability to do the job in the case of Seth Williams to protect and defend the people of of Philadelphia. So it's a little hard to draw the line between a free roof and your job as district attorney. Let's just leave it at that. But we'll hear more, uh, a lot more about this in the run-up to uh, the primary next spring. So then there's Chaka Fatah. Uh, It would take another half an hour to explain his bill of particulars, but 
he was convicted, resigned his seat, and the end of the Fatah era is over. One of Philadelphia's uh, Congress people who have been right. in office for a very long time. Right. Then the other big August story was a story that we've only learned sort of the first chapter, maybe even the introduction, and that was an FBI raid on labor leader John Doherty's office and home. It is not at all clear. Everybody wants to know where this is headed, and only the FBI at this point knows the answer to that question. But a a troubling set of uh, circumstances all the way around. And certainly many, many political figures in Philadelphia are frankly trying to remember when they emailed or talked to Johnny Dock last and what it was about. That's right. There's probably a a run on uh, bulk erasure uh, technologies out there. So, David, that's how Philadelphia spent its summer vacation. But you're the head of the Committee of Seventy. You're in charge of the organization that more than any other advocates for clean, ethical, transparent government in Philadelphia. So where does a summer like this leave you? Where's your thinking? What has to happen? Well, we've been at this for 112 years, and uh, I guess the bad news is there's still plenty of work to do. Yeah, practice makes perfect. (laughs) So I look at it this way. Uh, I've always been enamored of that... um, quote attributed to Peter Drucker, who said that culture eats strategy for breakfast, mm-hmm. meaning that the underlying context, the culture that you have, that's what will drive behavior. And I look at public corruption and uh, lapses in ethics and integrity as a cultural issue here in Philadelphia. Well, that's clearly shown by what we just discussed, because you have people doing things that lead ordinary voters to slap their foreheads, and they don't even, it doesn't even hit yeah. them in the world that they live that there's something questionable. We're, we're cursed by what some folks call the Philly shrug, mm-hmm. which is, that's ah, Philly. It's just, it's, you know, it's the way things happen here. Um, we think otherwise. <laughs> I think part of what you have to do to drive culture is to grow the chorus of voices that raise their hand and say, that's, that's not right, uh, that, that you're misusing or abusing our trust. And I think that's part of our strategy in working with Be Heard Philly is, uh, is to build that chorus of voices. You know, they now have 5,000 Philadelphians out there from across the city who stand ready, willing, and able to make their voices heard on mm-hmm. issues like this. So I think if we can harness that, it keeps 70 from being just kind of a lecturing school marm uh, sitting in a big office tower saying, tisk tisk. Unless and until we grow that chorus of voices, then I don't, I don't think this really can't change. The underlying culture can't change. Right. So when you go around Philadelphia, though, particularly if you talk to sort of young, civically engaged people, um, the, the baby boomers who, like myself, have moved into the city and feel a real stake in it, and um, it is a place where our children and grandchildren can live, there's plenty of people who want to see the culture change but they don't know where to put their hands. They're not sure what work to do. So what work would you have them do at this point? Well, it's a tough code to crack. I always remember that the rules are written by the folks in power, and we're looking to change the rules in, you could say, a very threatening way. But this is where I think something like J.B. Updike and open primaries comes in because what they're proposing is a way to open up the system in a way that adds more competition. You bring new voters into the primaries, which are the only elections that count here in Philadelphia. All of a sudden, you might have 30 or 40,000 more people who a mayor, uh, a mayoral candidate, has to compete for in a primary. So big picture, more competition. Uh, and I think that's where, again, the uh, open primaries folks yeah, fit As in. a thought occurs, David, as you were talking and uh, as we were listening to John Updike, 
clearly it's a democratic machine town. The people who benefit from that would never change the rules so that they would have more competition in democratic primaries, which are usually the real election. But they don't really set the rules for elections. The state does, and we have a Republican legislature. Is there any chance that they would be interested in an experiment in open primaries in our one first-class city, Philadelphia? Intriguing idea. I think the Republican Party would have to come to the conclusion that otherwise their path forward is pretty grim. But we're just at a point where there is no viable competition. And when you don't have viable competition, it breeds arrogance, contempt, laziness. You see this sort of self-serving behavior, which is, you know, 180 degrees from where we ought to be. Okay. So to, to summarize what somebody who wants to be part of this cultural change that you're talking about should do, first, they should abandon the Philly shrug and okay. talk other people out of it. They should take part in Be Heard Philly so that a different voice could be heard. And they should stay tuned for more ideas and advocacy from the Committee of Seven. Yeah, there's a whole other chapter of this book, as you and I have talked about, redistricting and gerrymanding. We'll save that for another day. Uh, but it's, again, it's one of those rules of the game. You know, if you if you want to change the game, you got to change the rules. So it's it's a tall mountain and a big rock, but you know that is why the Committee of Seventies here low these 112 years. Okay, great. Thank you. That's David Thornburg, head of the Committee of Seventy. Okay, so that's it. Another episode of the podcast for people who expect more from Philly. Thanks to some people who did meet our expectations, our guests John Updike of Open Primaries and Nina Ho of Be Heard Philly. Also, a hat tip to the University City Science Center, which hosted the American Experiments event. Deep thanks and an even deeper British curtsy to our ab-fab producer, that master of audio mixology, Sophie Reed. Gratitude also to Jeremy Quattlebaum, our able engineer, and to his kind employer, the Annenberg Public Policy Center on the Penn campus, from whose studio we launched 20 by 70 on an unsuspecting world. We hope you liked this podcast. And if you want to listen to those that went before, search for Committee of 70 on iTunes or SoundCloud. We plan to be back in your ears in a couple weeks. Until then, expect more, Philadelphia. Philadelphia.